Hello and welcome to Clean Air Report Ghana, a program examining the wide-ranging impact of air pollution on our daily lives. Coming up in this edition, we meet woodworkers in Kumasi who are risking their lives to produce the furniture we use. Fishmongers face blindness, cancer, and other diseases from smoking fish. We will also hear from an expert on why and how we need to constantly measure air quality in our cities and towns. This program is a collaboration between Unitives and Ghana's leading newsrooms. My name is Winifred Latte. Pollution kills nearly 30,000 Ghanaians prematurely every year and sickens many more. Asthma, stroke, heart disease, and infertility are some of the diseases directly linked to air pollution. But dirty air is not just found in the obvious places like car exhaust. In coming programs, we'll examine places where you might not expect to find dangerous air. First up today, we look at the furniture industry. Look around you. Everywhere you turn, there is furniture or some wood product near you. Have you taken a moment to consider how the furniture or wood product is made? Wood processing produces a lot of pollution and kills many other people who cut, shape and sculpt the wood products we love and use. The areas around Kumasi have some of the largest woodworking operations in Ghana. Love FM's Mona Lisa Frimpong reports on how pollution from wood dust puts the lives of Ghana's woodworkers at risk. 53-year-old George Boatin has been a carpenter for more than 25 years. He says his hands are the most important part of his body. They are his tool to get the job done every day and he is extremely careful to protect them. You have to be attentive when handling a machine. One of my apprentices had his hand chopped off. But hands aren't the only part of his body at risk as a carpenter. Exposure to dust and chemicals in the course of everyday work can damage an even more critical part of a carpenter's body the respiratory organs. That's according to the head of the respiratory unit at the Confuanoche Teaching Hospital in the Ashanti region, Dr. Divine Amenuke. The fine sawdust have got different um, sizes in terms of uh, the type of food that is used, whether it's hard or soft. And um, with those ones, the relatively bigger ones tend to settle more in the mouth and nose area uh, to the throat. Then we have other ones that uh, go a bit deeper down into the um, upper part of the chest. And then you have the very fine, smallest particles that go deep down into the deep aspects of the smallest parts of the tubes that send air from your nostrils deep down into your lungs. Wood dust is an unavoidable byproduct of most joinery or carpentry tasks. At George's workshop at Fumusa in the southern Ghanaian city of Kumasi, 
Dust flies every time workers cut, drill, plane or sand a piece of timber. Workers and their bosses know the hazards. Wood dust was first labelled as a hazardous substance by the Control of Substances Hazardous to Health Act passed in 2002. The law required workers to protect themselves by wearing gears to cover their eyes, nose and mouth. But workers like George say the gear makes it hard to breathe. Though he has asthma that requires medication and regular trips to hospital, he's still not willing to wear the mask. I inhaled a lot of sawdust particles at work. I have to wear the mask. That is the right thing, but I am stubborn. We travel to the town of Sokoman on the outskirts of Kumase to the biggest woodworking center in West Africa, the Sokoman Wood Village. 20,000 workers cut, shape and treat wood here. The village is divided into the lumber cellars and artisan section. The artisans sand and drill all day, every day, producing a mountain of dust. Sokoban Wood Village is no different from George Boateng's carpentry shop at Fumusa. A walk through the artisan section finds only a few are wearing masks. 47-year-old Aquisianest is one of them. Respiratory health is of little concern to Aquisi. This is despite the fact that 20 years working here have begun to take a toll. I experience headaches, but I've done this work for long, so my bloodstream has absorbed the particles. If you are new here, you can barely breathe. Akwesi is not the only one here experiencing the health impacts of inhaling wood dust. Kwekuamua also works without any protective gear. He complains of eye irritations and headaches. Akwesi and Kweku don't visit health facilities but rely on over-the-counter drugs to treat their symptoms. Experts say these protections will need to spread across the industry if Ghana's woodworkers are not to face a growing burden of illness. This story was a collaboration with New Narratives. Funding was provided by the Clean Air Fund, which had no say in the story's content. In the coastal towns of Ghana, thousands of women earn a living by smoking fish on traditional ovens. The fumes from these ovens not only pollute the environment, but also endanger the lives of these fish smokers who inhale them day in and day out. For most of these women, fish smoking is their only source of livelihood. But in terms of the methods of smoking fish, they have a choice. A choice between clean stoves and traditional stoves made of clay. Most of them opt for the traditional instead of the modern. Prince Owusu Esiedu of Adum FM has been to Jamestown, Accra, to speak to some fishmongers. Welcome to the program, Prince. Thank you very much. Now, Prince, first off, how big is the fish smoking industry in Ghana? Ghana's fishing industry is a lifeblood of the economy, providing livelihoods to 2 million people. And when you look at women into fish smoking, they are about 170,000. So looking at the number, 
you could see the number of women who are into fish smoking and the implications that, you know, uh, these women are being affected, including uh, their unborn babies. Throughout the coastal area at Jamestown, the women I spoke to told me that they are aware of the smoke and the fire, but they cannot do away with that business. That is what their uh, grandparents started with. So for them, they, they have nothing to do. They have to continue. Now, how does the fish smoking process in Ghana pose health risk to workers? The smoke that comes out from the drums that they used for the fish smoking, the women that smoke the fish, anytime they go to work, they are aware of the smoke that they inhale. They tells me that after inhaling the smoke, they buy about uh, one sachet of pure water. One person will drink the water so that, you know, that, uh, the smoke that has entered her should be able to, you know, manage that smoke. So they are aware of the smoke that enters their body. But the, the, the solution that they use is the pure water, drinking more water. The firewood we use emits smoke that affects our eyes. In the night, I see things in shades of red, gold and green. It's a constant struggle. When the sun sets, it's much more comfortable smoking the fish. It's better than smoking the fish when the sun is high up. We drink a lot of water when the sun is high. The smoke clouds our senses. Now, how does this affect the lives of children in the community? Yes, uh, for the children, uh, it's so bad to the extent that these women carry with them, you know, babies to where they, they smoke the fish. Uh, some women I also spoke to, some are also pregnant women. And it tells me, you know, uh, the smoke that affects them also affects their babies because they have no choice. They have nobody to leave their babies with. So when they come to work, they carry them with them. So imagine the smoke that they inhale. The babies at their back also inhale it. And those inside their womb, the unborn babies, they are also affected by this uh, smoke. They tell me anytime they go to the hospital, the doctors tell them that they have to stay away from the smoke. But they, they have no job or no business to do rather than go back to Jamestown and smoke the fish. My child is usually strapped to my back as I work. Sometimes he gets down to play, but he cries a lot, and that's why he's often strapped to my back. It's hard, but I try because there's no one to take care of him whilst I smoke the fish. His father also goes to work, and I have no choice than to bring him with me to the ovens. The fumes are hard to deal with. My eyes hurt, but it's my job. I can't stop doing it. Are there any regulations or guidelines in place to ensure the safety of workers and consumers in the fish smoking industry? When I spoke to the ministries, uh, the fisheries ministry, what they tell me is they go there at times to educate the fishmongers 
uh, about the dangers of the smoke. But through the education, they also, you know, inform them to get clean stoves. But the question is, getting the clean stoves, are these fishmongers, do they have the money to purchase the clean stove? So what they want them to do is to get a clean sto stove. But, uh, you know, looking at the drums that they use to smoke the fish, they prefer that drums because they, 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 they tells me that that is, uh, that is how they, they, they can get the fire, the flames of the fire, you know, so that it will burn the fish so that it, it can cook well. So if you go and give them any clean stove, they don't like that one because they like this one. That has been a traditional method they've been using since their uh, grandparents. So they prefer that one. So I don't see any guidelines there. If there were to be any guidelines, these women wouldn't have been there uh, since, you know, their grandparents and they are still smoking the fish and they are still inhaling the smoke in, in, into them. Thank you for sharing that with us, Prince. There is no doubt air pollution is a growing problem that is finally getting the attention it deserves. In Ghana, how do we know that the situation is getting out of hand and what could inform the policies that will clean up the air we breathe? An organization called Breathe Accra has installed measuring instruments around the city which monitor pollution levels in the national capital. Kelvin Yabwa is the community engagement officer for Breathe Accra. I asked him why air pollution has become such a topical issue around the world these days. When we say air pollution, we basically refer to a contamination of the indoor, that's household or outdoor, that's also known as a ambient air. So basically, it's okay when uh, you have harmful gases and dust, smoke entering into the atmosphere and then making it difficult for plants, animals, and humans to survive. And then uh, we are hearing about it now so much because of uh, basically three reasons. One is that uh, over the years, uh, it has become a major environmental risk to human health. Uh, there's been a lot of research on uh, air pollution effect on health. And then asthma is at the forefront. And then number two, we are hearing so much about it in the news because uh, according to the WHO, uh, each year around the world, 7 million deaths occur due to air pollution exposure. That's both outdoor and then indoor air pollution exposure. So around the world, we are witnessing about 8 million deaths due to air pollution exposure. From this 7 million or 8 million deaths, 2 million are coming from the Southeast Asia and then 2 million from the West Pacific region. These regions are notable, uh, they are noted for um, big factories and then very industrialized settings. But then, interestingly, about one million of these deaths are coming from Africa. And then, lastly, we are hearing so much about it because, as we already know, air pollution affects almost every system in our body. So, from the respiratory system, the nervous system, cardiovascular system to even the reproductive system. Now, Kelvin, what are the peak hours of pollution in Ghana? And are there specific groups of people who are more vulnerable? The peak hours, uh, they vary according to location. Yeah, so, but we, in general, we've noticed that Mondays and then getting to the latter end of the week, that's uh, around Thursday and Fridays, uh, the, the air pollution levels are really, really high. 
and then uh, but generally uh, during the daytime and then mostly in the night. In the night because most of the people they burn a lot of their waste in the night. So that's the reason why uh, the peak is sometimes seen high during the night. For those who are at risk, yeah, everybody's at risk, but then there are a group of people that are most vulnerable to the air pollution exposure. One of the groups are uh, pregnant women. Yeah, there's been a lot of studies done uh, by my boss, Professor Kofia Mega, uh, on pregnant women and their exposure to air pollution. We've been able to link uh, uh, negative birth outcomes such as low birth weight, still birth, premature birth, and then uh, spontaneous abortion to air pollution exposure. And then also uh, the elderly. Yeah, the elderly, those above 65 years old, they are also very, very, very uh, vulnerable. And then people living with underlying conditions like asthma and any other respiratory condition or even cardiovascular conditions. Yeah, they are also one of the vulnerable groups. And then one of the most important groups that recently we've done a lot of studies on are speed vendors. Speed vendors because they spend a lot of time in traffic doing their business and then they are exposed to all these fumes coming from cars. Now, what would you like to see policymakers do to create healthier environments for all? Policymakers can do a lot, but then uh, some of the things they can do are long-term in nature. But then a few are also, uh, you can start now and then we can build upon it. Number one is they can improve uh, our public transport system. So uh, a lot of research has shown that the number one cause or sources of air pollution is traffic pollution. We have a lot of cars on our roads. And then if all this is because we don't have a, an efficient public transport system, because if uh, we had a, an efficient public transport system, I believe most people will jump onto the public transport system like the metro bus and uh, metro mass buses to get to work rather than driving in their cars. And then number two, policymakers can also focus on uh, improving our road network system. Uh, so uh, what I mean by improving our road network system is by incorporating what we call cycle-free roads. So people can, uh, we can encourage people to cycle and even walk. Right now, people are not able to, or they don't feel comfortable walking or cycling because our roads have been taken over by uh, traders. So all the pedestrian pathways have been clouded by traders who are selling. And then there is a, a benefit, a public health co-benefit for these things. When you walk, you also improve your cardiovascular system. And then also, they can also focus on uh, improving waste management system, which is also one of the most important sources of air pollution. We notice that our waste management system is very poor. People, the, the, the waste, uh, uh, waste people, they don't come a lot, uh, a lot, they don't come frequent to take these wastes. So people resort to burning, which inevitably leads to uh, air pollution. So if we are able to improve our waste management system, I think it will be a very good thing. And then also 
policymakers can look at transitioning from these biomass fuels to clean sources of fuel for cooking. For example, making more uh, LPG more affordable so that a lot of people can uh, jump onto it, uh, onto it and then we, we can reduce the over-reliance that we have on biomass fuels. And then lastly, they can also focus on uh, investing in green spaces. We can invest in green spaces because we've done, uh, we have a paper on green spaces in Accra. And then we noticed that uh, most of our green spaces are becoming depreciated due to uh, a number of factors, but most importantly, urban migration. So a lot of people are coming into the urban centers and then there's a pressure on uh, accommodation. So we see a lot of uh, these green spaces being converted to uh, accommodation areas. Thank you, Kelvin, for sharing this valuable information with us. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, so finally, what I want to add is that uh, uh, clean air is a fundamental human right. And then ensuring that we have a cleaner air is not just a one-sided responsibility, but then a shared responsibility. So through active community participation, we can take a step closer to a dream of clean air for all in the near future. There have been a dramatic increase in the number of motorcycles on the streets of Ghana in the last decade. They have become a popular mode of transport as commuters use them to beat rush hour traffic. Motorcycles are also being used in the fast-growing delivery business. The increasing use of motorcycles simply means more air pollution from the transport sector. But Michael Achale of Joy News reports on the advantages of electric motorcycles over their gasoline-powered cousins in the battle against air pollution. It is a regular day on the streets of Accra and as usual, cars lock up in traffic and motorcycles meander the confusing maze. There is a motorbike everywhere you look. Some of the riders are in the delivery business while others use the bikes for their commute. Many of them are fossil fuel consuming monsters that emit cocktails of pollutants. Electric motorcycles are silently carving a path through the chaos, offering a clean and efficient alternative to their gas guzzling counterparts. It is now generally accepted that the future is electric. For many people that use combustion engines, especially drivers, their concern is how to go about it, more especially on the availability of charging stations and batteries. Polluting sources of energy to cleaner sources of energy. So we are focused on how do we help Africans make that transition, starting here from Ghana. Aida Mano is the vice president in charge of marketing at Kofa Technologies. We decided that with our swap and go technology, we were able to build a solution that is more end-to-end to replacing the energy sources of um, energy sources that motorcycles use. So with swap and go technology, we can empower people to use electric motorcycles and have them, it's a, it's an, a form that is analogous to petrol stations. Kofa's swap and go initiative is a game changer for electric motorcycle enthusiasts. Here, riders can exchange their depleted batteries for fully charged ones in a matter of minutes all while reducing harmful emissions. Looking at how can we move society from a carbon-polluting society to something to a society that 
it's still powered, it's still productive, but using cleaner, greener forms of energy that are not polluting the environment, causing adverse health effects on uh, members of the society. Some bikers like Prisla Afeli have seen great improvement since she switched to an EV bike. I was surprised when I saw the electric bike first. I was like, ah, what is this? Is this some toy? But when I sat on it and then I rode it for some, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is so cool. If they ask me with a power bike and then uh, with this, I would first class take this because there's no noise, no pollution of air. And like it's just smooth on the way, it's just cool to go. Ghana hopes to achieve net zero emissions by 2025. Studies show that on average, a motorbike produces 119.6 grams of carbon dioxide per kilometer, assuming there's a single rider. Having two or more riders will make the bike heavier, which would make the engine work harder and produce more carbon dioxide. Electric bikes will be a real game changer. Muftao Omar works as a data analyst and has been monitoring data on CO2 emissions at Kofes Laboratory. For non-EV bikes, they are at the moment doing about um, 23 kilometers per litre, which in turn would put them around, say, 2.3 or 2.2 kilograms of CO2 for um, for every liter of petrol that they use. We have monitoring dashboards to track all these things. I think in last month, we are doing our 170 CO2 saved, kilograms CO2 saved every month, or on the average. But um, now I think this month is around 200 kilograms of CO2 saved per rider on a daily basis. We are able to even track on our phones. We've built dashboards to enable us to track all these metrics. The end game for us is to really have more bikes in the system and to offset as much CO2 as possible. EV motorbikes make up a small fraction of all bikes roaming free on the streets of Accra. However, they are paving the way for a cleaner, quieter and more accessible urban future. The future of urban transportation is electric and not just a dream as the silent revolution of electric motorcycles changing the way we move through our cities one ride at a time. That's all for this episode of the Clean Air Reports Ghana. Join us next time for more reporting on the dangers of air pollution and solutions. We can all adapt to start breathing cleaner air. The program is a collaboration between new narratives and reporters from leading newsrooms across the country. Funding was provided by the Clean Air Fund. If you have a story suggestion or want to let us know what you think of the program, text us on WhatsApp number 053-417-7313. You can also follow our work at New Narratives on X platform and Facebook and at our website www.newnarratives.org.